Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Have a Bible, a copy of God's Word, uh, a phone, a tablet that you want to use for a Bible today. Let's go ahead and get that out and turn with me to the book of Luke. The book of Luke. And uh, we're going to be just in chapter 1, so you can... Just scroll there and hang out there. I'll tell you what verse uh, in just a little bit. Uh, But I just kind of wanted to share a couple of things with you guys before we dive into God's word today. Um, One is uh, don't forget about the response cards that are on your seats. So we're going to ask everybody that's here today to fill out the blue part of that response card uh, just as a way we can get to know you. Uh, If this is your first time with us or first time to church in a while, we're so glad that you are here. And uh, you can fill that card out and at least give us a prayer request and a way we can be praying for you this week uh, because we have a team that meets every week to pray by name over these requests. So we'd love the opportunity to do that. And you can drop that blue card off at our giving station on your way out today. Um, Also, there's a place to take notes on those cards. So I want to encourage you as we're starting a new series today uh, to take some notes and it may help you throughout the week as you are trying to be in God's word and read your Bible and uh, draw closer to the Lord. If you're like me, uh, by the time you get home today, you will have forgotten you even went to church today uh, because Sundays can be a little bit crazy and draining of a day. And so I just want to encourage you to take some notes. That'll help you out throughout the week. All right. Um, Also wanted to remind you guys, let you guys know uh, that last week we announced our Christmas offering. And so we are uh, really excited about that. We are um, trying to raise for our Christmas offering. Our goal is $3,000 by the end of the year. So by the end of the year, we want to raise $3,000. Here's the cool thing about it. Uh, This is kind of like above and beyond what you might give for your regular tithes and offerings. So um, I want you to kind of think about what is a way I could be generous and just realize that as we're being generous, this $3,000 is not going back into our budget. This $3,000 is not going into the black hole of a church budget. It's not going into a designated account. This $3,000, we are giving it away, all right? It's gone. Like, we are, uh, we're going to be giving it to help uh, plant more churches around the North America, around the world, to help refugees around the world, uh, to help families, and even setting some aside to send more people on mission to go uh, work with people all over the world to share the gospel in 2023. So that's, that's what it's going. 100% of it's being given away. So I just want to encourage you today. You can do that online, or uh, if you drop it off in the box, you just put Christmas offering on the envelope, and we'll know exactly uh, where to put that. But I'm really excited uh, about, as a church, like our first opportunity as a church to really raise money just for that so that we can give it all away for the advancement of the gospel. So I'm super pumped about that and just wanted to remind you and uh, let you know to be praying about that and thinking about how God might want to use you uh, to uh, do that and to, uh, to meet that goal by the end of the year, all right? Hey, um, uh, one of the things we're doing right now is we are starting a brand new uh, kind of sermon series. We're done with the book of Philippians, so we made it, we did it, uh, we did great. And uh, last week we started talking about Christmas, but this week we are kind of officially launching our new Christmas series um, uh, called Christmas for All People. 
Um, and so uh, one of the things we really want to highlight this year is that we believe, like as a church, that Christmas is not just for us. Christmas is actually good news for all people. And, uh, and that's something we really want to highlight because we don't want to be a church just about us. And I think the Christmas season is really easy, isn't it, to like become very self-consumed because we all have our traditions that we like. We all have our business that we've got. We all have our busyness, our jobs, um, our holiday parties, our families. And, and if we're not careful, Christmas really quickly becomes just about us and very inwardly focused. And then we, you know, occasionally might throw some spare change into the, the kettle for the Salvation Army. You guys know the bell ringers uh, there. And uh, we, we might occasionally do something like that. But, uh, but man, what I want us to do as a church is to focus on, man, how could we take those things that we're already doing and just include all people in them? Like, just include the people that are in our lives that may not have any, you know, any semblance of what Christmas is really about. And uh, so last week on the way home, um, we started doing uh, Christmas in the Hembry house. Uh, you guys would be proud. We did it the day after Thanksgiving. I know we got a lot of rebels in the church this year who started doing it like back in October. And uh, but I, I know that's OK, though. It's OK. Like, I forgive you. The Lord forgives you. You're in right standing. All right. We we moved past that. But we started the day after Thanksgiving. We put the tree up. Uh, we have. Uh, let's see, Zeke is my seven-year-old, and he's pretty cool. He's just like, yeah, cool tree. Um, let me, how do the lights work? Let me figure the lights. Like, he's, he's kind of in that phase. My two girls are four and two, and uh, they are like, we have put, let's just say we have put the ornaments back on the tree no less than 12 times a day. All right, like since they like we've just I mean, it is like if you walk into our house, you're gonna be like, oh, beautiful Christmas tree. Where are the ornaments? And I'm going to move your head down just so you see them all on the bottom third of the tree, because that's that's where they're all at. And, uh, and so they've like had a great time, like and but they are so pumped because they thought like especially uh, my four year old Zoe, like she thought when we put the tree up that it was Christmas Day. Like she thought this is Christmas Day. So we, she's like, Dad, Dad, we got to hurry up. We got to get the stockings up. We got to get the decorations up. And where are the presents? Like, like we got to get this thing going. I've already made some requests. Like I, I got to get some things. Like, like she thought. And so we sat her down. Like we explained to her like, Zoe, sweet pea. Like, no, unfortunately, like this is not Christmas Day. This is the Christmas season. She said, but you said it was Christmas. And I was like, no, 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 it is. It is, but it's the Christmas season. It's not like Christmas Day. And she's like, well, how many days till Christmas Day? And I'm like, 28. And she's like, 28? Like when you're four, that's an astronomical number. Like go ahead and add about 12 zeros to that. And that's what it sounded like in her head. And so every day, it's like how many days until Christmas? How many days? And so, uh, so she started calling it the real Christmas. So she's like, all right. I've been jaded, and I've been lied to. I was made promises that it was Christmas, and then I was told the rules had changed, that all of a sudden it wasn't Christmas. It was Christmas, but it wasn't Christmas. And so now she's like, I want to know when is the real Christmas, because this fake Christmas stuff is getting on my nerves. And so that's kind of like the mentality of my four-year-old this Christmas season. And so we're riding home from church, and we're just riding. I'm just like, Zoe, how was church? She's like, fine. I'm like, what would you learn in church? Good. 
no, 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 what did you learn in church? It was fine. What did you learn? And then I'm like, Zoe, what's wrong? Are you okay? She says, Dad, I got a big question. I said, what's your question? She said, when is the real Christmas? And I said, uh, well, and I did the math, and I don't know, I, it was like 27 days. And she said, uh, she said, oh, okay. She said, well, what are we supposed to do until then? And in my head, I'm thinking, well, we could just leave the ornaments on the tree until then. But I didn't say that, only in my head. I said, uh, I said well, sweet pea, uh, we're just going to have to wait. That's all I could come up with at the time. And she stops and she thinks for a minute. And she goes, Dada? And I said, yeah, Zoe. And I thought her four-year-old brain, we were moving on. No, no, no. She said, uh, Dada, waiting is hard. I said, girlfriend. I said, preach, because it is. Waiting is really, really hard. And then I got to launch in and explain to her what Advent mean, meant and the season and how the prophets of the Old Testament were doing this. I mean, we had 18 minutes till we got home. And so I'm like explaining to her that basically the entire narrative of Scripture. I look back, she's passed out asleep, completely asleep. But it's okay, I got good practice. I, but my point is like Zoe, uh, and that's a picture of after our conversation. But Zoe like just said these profound words that I think were really important. Daddy, waiting is hard. Waiting's hard. How many of you can relate to that? How many of you know that waiting is hard? And you may not voice it that way, right? Because, like, we're all adults here, right? I say that because, I mean, physically, but mentally, you know. And so we're all, like, kind of adults here. And, uh, and so we don't always voice it. But I always say, like, kids just voice what we wish we could say as adults, right? Like, they just act the way we're acting in our heads, right? So when my two-year-old is, like, done for the day, and she's given, like, a tantrum down on the ground, I'm like, girlfriend, I feel you. Like, on a deep level, I want to do that, too. Um, and so, like, but that, that's just, and so waiting is hard. It's hard for us to wait for stuff. And, uh, but listen, I like, like, we hear, like, the story, the narrative of Scripture is really just a story about God's people waiting. And during the waiting, here's what's really cool, is that, um, and you can write this down, here's what's really cool, is that our waiting is never wasting when we're waiting on the Lord. Our waiting is never wasting when we're waiting on the Lord. And, and I love that because even though the scripture is really just a lot about God's people waiting, God did a lot during the waiting. Like, while God's people were waiting, God did a lot. And, and so um, what we have is if you, like, looked in the Old Testament and you flip to the last, um, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, and, and you looked at that, between that, okay, the last prophet of God that God spoke through and the story that we're going to read today, which is the beginnings of the Christmas story, uh, historians think about 400 years is between those two points. Between, if you look in your Bible, and you have Malachi, the last page of the Old Testament, and then if you're using a real Bible, that little page that just says the New Testament, between those two pages represents 400 years of waiting. 400 years of waiting. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Four minutes of waiting is enough for me. Like, that's enough. I'm a pretty impatient dude. 
Like I think they, I'm used to things being really quick. And if they're not quick, I start to wonder what's wrong and, and what has happened. And I start to get a little angsty and a little complaining, especially at restaurants. And it's not so much angsty as it is, angsty as it is angry. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, like, that can happen. But I want you to imagine me and God's people waiting 400 years. And, and I want you to think about that today as we open up God's Word and we read today about the beginnings of this Christmas story, that this was... This was something that God's people had been waiting for for hundreds of years. But not just waiting to hear from God. This is something that they had been promised since the book of Genesis. And so if you think about Genesis, that's the first book of the Bible, over to the New Testament, the coming of Jesus is something that we had been waiting for for that whole time. And so, so that's why we want to open up God's Word today in Luke chapter 1. We want to see how did the Christmas story start and so um, if I went around northern Virginia and I started asking people what Christmas is about what do you think people would tell me if I just ask you impact church gosh I hope you pass this test what is Christmas about Jesus good good two people are yeah you got it good job everybody else was terrified to answer I know but you were gonna say Jesus right and church just know if you're new to church you just throw out the name Jesus, you're right 100% of the time. Like, you can't go wrong, right? How was your day today? Jesus? Oh, he's so spiritual. That was so good. Like, that always happens, okay? Yes, Jesus, right? So if we ask people, like, what is Christmas about, most people would be able to answer, Christmas is about Jesus. It's about Jesus. But then we start to look at actually what happens in our lives. Like, we start to look at the way we practice Christmas. We start to look at the way we live our lives during this season, and then we have to ask ourselves the question, is Christmas really about Jesus? Or is Christmas about social calendars? Is Christmas really about Jesus, or is Christmas about meeting everybody's expectations? Is Christmas really about Jesus, or is it about fulfilling all of our family traditions? Is Christmas really about Jesus, or is Christmas really about me? And we have to answer that question. And so this question is going to get answered through this passage. So here's what we're going to do um, today. It's a little bit different of a passage because uh, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to have story time. We're just going to read a story in Scripture. And so I'll read a little bit. I'll explain a little bit, read a little bit, explain a little bit. Luke chapter 1, let's start in verse 5. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right. Everybody said, we've been there. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Here we go. Um, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abaha, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So let's stop there. Okay, so most of the time when we're thinking Christmas story, we're not thinking about Zechariah, all right? Like most of the time we're like, hey, let's read a Christmas story to the kids. Like we're, we're, we go to the shepherds, to the angels, to the wise men, to the little drummer boy. We go to those places and, just kidding, that was a joke. We go to those places, right? But, but the Christmas story actually doesn't start with any of them. The Christmas story actually starts with a guy named Zechariah. Everyone say, Zechariah. 
All right. The Christmas story actually starts with him and his wife, Elizabeth. Everyone say Elizabeth. And, uh, and the Bible actually starts, the Christmas story starts with Zechariah and Elizabeth and a hopeless situation. Hopeless. I mean, listen to what it says. They were righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child. And man, I, I'm not going to take the time today to get into this, but I, I do want you to know here today that, uh, man, Christmas season can be a hard time, uh, especially for families who uh, don't have children or want to have children or have suffered the loss of a child. And I just want you to know from this platform, like as your pastor, I want you to know you're seen. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know that Christmas is for you, <laughs> that the Christmas story actually starts in that type of a situation. And, uh, and I, I don't want you to take this and, and uh, hear me making any promises for God from you, but I want you to know that um, the Bible starts the Christmas story with a hopeless situation. And it says not only did they not have kids, but Elizabeth was barren, and they were both old. They were old. They had to probably like in their 50s or something. They were, they were old, okay? It's a joke. It's just a joke. Um, they were in a hopeless situation. It makes us wonder, man, why do you think God would start the whole Christmas story in the first three verses with an absolute hopeless situation? Because that is exactly why Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming to meet us in our hopeless situation. Like, we all have hopeless situations. Your hopeless situation may not have to do with childbearing. Your hopeless situation may have to do with your finances. Your hopeless situation may have to do with your family. Your hopeless situation may have to do with your physical health. Your hopeless situation may have to do with your mental health. Like, your hopeless situation, I don't know what it is, but I know that we have either come out of a hopeless situation, or we may find ourselves in a hopeless situation, or we might be in what feels like a hopeless situation here today. And I want you to know that I think God wants all of us to know that without Jesus, everything is hopeless. But when Jesus comes onto the scene, there's always some hope. And, and so let's keep reading and see like how this turns out. All right? Look at verse 8 with me. Verse 8, it says, now while he, talking about Zechariah, was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now this, this is amazing. Like this is probably my favorite part of the whole story. Because like you can't make this stuff up. Like this is so amazing. Like Zechariah and Elizabeth start off man they were godly people they were trying to follow god the best they knew how but they still found themselves wanting waiting for a child and they're in this season of waiting they're in this season of wanting they're in this season of hopelessness and so zechariah gets up ho-hum and just does another day as a priest now here's one thing that you have to understand it says um in on, in verse 8 that his division was on duty now, throughout the time, remember, God hasn't spoken for about 400 years through nothing. No dreams, no visions, no prophets, no writing on the wall, 
nothing. No, no voice from God for 400 years. And all of a sudden, Zechariah comes up and says his division was there. Well, listen, there were a lot of priests around. And so a lot of tradition tells us that uh, probably during Zechariah's time serving as a priest, that you would only have the opportunity to go serve in the temple one time throughout your entire lifetime. There were just so many priests. And so the chances of you, now you did, priests did other things. They had other jobs and would do other things. But for you to be chosen to go into the temple to offer incense and serve in the temple, that was a, probably a once-in-a-lifetime thing for a priest during this season of priesthood. And so it just so happened that during this hopeless time, Zechariah's division, meaning his group of priests, was on duty. Well, then look at verse 9. It says, as was custom, he was chosen by lot. Do you know what that means? That means they rolled dice to see who was going to enter the temple. Now, this is, I'm, I'm really thankful for the Holy Spirit. And I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit for many different reasons. But one is because before the Holy Spirit came on the scene, this is how God's people made their decisions, is they rolled dice. Could you imagine? It may actually avoid a lot of conflict in our home, right? Where do you want to eat tonight? I don't know. Let's roll the dice and see. Like, that might avoid a little bit of conflict. You know what I'm saying? But, but like, truth be told, I want you to imagine, like, that's how decisions were made. Before the Holy Spirit came and gave us wisdom and discernment and gave us the voice of God, God's people were like, well, which one of you are going to go into the temple and might die today? <sighs> Baby wants to stay alive. Here we go. And like roll the dice and see where it landed. And, uh, and that's exactly what happens. We have a hopeless situation, 400 years of silence from God himself. And it just so happens Zechariah's division it's their turn for the temple, and it just so happens when they roll the dice, Zechariah gets chosen for duty. And everybody else is outside praying as they're burning the incense. Now, I know uh, incense become like popular again, people burn incense, but in the Bible, incense represents prayer, okay? Represents the prayers of God, uh, or the prayers of God's people going up to God. And I love this, because we could look at that and go, wow, this is crazy. This is a crazy coincidence. Like if you don't follow Jesus, if you're not aware, if you don't know the Bible, if you don't really understand God, you would look at this and go, wow, I wonder what the odds would be for all of this stuff to stack up. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you've spent any time in God's word, you know that God is setting Zechariah up for something amazing. And so I love the fact that like all of this, like Zechariah doesn't know though, he doesn't know, oh, it just happens to me, my division. Oh, I just happened to get chosen. Oh, I just happened to go into the temple. Oh, I just happened to be in a hopeless situation. Oh, it just so happens to be this moment in time in history. And so Zechariah, he, he's not thinking, but one of my favorite quotes is by a former pastor, a guy named John Piper. And he says this, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you may be aware of three of them. God is always doing 10,000 things in your life. And you might be aware of like three of them. And that's what's happening to Zechariah. Is God is setting him up to bring about the savior of the world. Like, like to bring about the story of Christmas. 
and he's just going about his day. I love that. Let's, let's keep reading. Look at verse 11, see what happens. It says, um, and so, so Zechariah is in the temple. He's serving. Everybody's praying. Verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, I bet. And fear fell upon him. Like, like look at that part. Like, okay, you just got to understand, like, for us, we see pictures of angels all the time. And just a little heads up, they probably look nothing like our little caricatures or whatever's like on top of your tree. Probably doesn't look anything like that. But this angel appears, like Zechariah goes into the temple. I'm sure he's yawning. Oh, what a day. Oh, it's my choice. You know, but he's excited. It's like a once in a lifetime thing for him. He's never been in the temple before. He's checking things out. And he's like, oh, they even post this on Instagram. And oh, I like what they did with the altar over there. And he's just kind of checking things out. And then all of a sudden he turns around and there's an angel of the Lord. Now, you need to understand, for 400 years, there have been no messengers of God. So this is not even on his radar, okay? This is not even, he's going, oh, I wonder if I'll see a, an angel today. You know, like, there's none of that. For 400 years, his dad and his dad's dad and his dad's dad's dad and his dad's 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 dad and his great-great-great-great-great-granddaddy and all those people have never heard from God, ever. And so here Zechariah is and says when he sees the angel, he's troubled. Now, I think that that's because someone, a being coming from the presence of God would probably be troubling to our earthly minds. Like, like I know we'd like to think, you know, an angel would be just like us and maybe, I don't know, but, but this is clearly not that. This is clearly a messenger from the Lord. It says when he saw him, he fear just fell upon him. And he got really, really scared at the presence of God. This is amazing. 400 years of waiting. 400 years of silence. Broken. Look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, uh, to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And if you're taking notes here, I just want you to underline that last sentence, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. In verse 17. The reason is because there's a lot here we could unpack. There's a lot of like, you know, flashing back to the Old Testament. There's a lot of prophecy being fulfilled, like a lot of things that the prophets promised would happen. Uh, the angel is like starting to to tell him a little bit about that. And and so uh, I don't have time to get into all of the, the Old Testament um, uh, parallels here and prophecies fulfilled, but it's pretty awesome, like when you look at it. But I want you to just look at like, like right here, the angel is telling him, like, Zechariah, don't be afraid. I've got some good news for you. 
I've got really great news. It's going to make you so happy. And in fact, I love this because look at here. He says um, in verse 14, look at verse 14 with me. He says, and you will have joy and gladness. Look, and many will rejoice at his birth. This is why we do Christmas for all people. Because even the announcement that Zechariah was going to have a miracle child wasn't even just for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was for many people. And so, guys, like Christmas is not just for us. The joy, yes, yes, like we will, we will receive it as good news. Yes, it will be good for us. But, guys, Christmas is also great news for many people, for all people who feel hopeless, for all people who are in a season of waiting, for all people who feel alone and forgotten. Christmas is great news. It brings amazing joy. And guys, that, I wanted you to see that. And so this angel man dropped a major mic drop on Zechariah. It's just like, dude, boom. Like, what you going to say to that, man? And I love it because some of you are like, Brandon, I thought Christmas was about Jesus, but it definitely said to name him John. So what, what's up with that? Well, here's the deal. You may have also noticed this is Zechariah and Elizabeth's story, not Mary and Joseph's story. Because the Christmas story actually didn't start with Mary and Joseph. The Christmas story started with Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're, we'll get to them a little bit next week about how their stories intertwine. But, but I wanted you just to, to see, like, um, th this guy, John, this baby that's going to be born, John, is uh, throughout church tradition has been called John the Baptist. And it's not because that was his denomination of choice, okay? Uh, it didn't exist back then, all right? Uh, he's called John the Baptist because Baptist literally meant, meant baptizer, which literally meant dunker, okay? So literally, it would be like us walking around going, John the dunker, good. Now, I don't know about you, but like, that could actually be a pretty sweet nickname if I'm a basketball player, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd love that name. If they're like, oh, here comes Brandon the dunker, I'd be like, yeah, what's up, you know? Even though, like, I can't do anything on the court, like nothing. You know, but it'd be a really cool thing. But uh, what they meant is like, literally, here comes John, the guy who dunks people in the river, right? That almost sounds bullyish, right? I, I was like, oh, here comes John. But that was his name, okay? Because John's role was to get everybody ready for the coming of Jesus. So when God shows up, sometimes it's not immediate, sometimes it's a process. When God showed up first, he didn't announce Jesus coming first. He announced someone coming to prepare the way for Jesus first. And so sometimes you may feel like God's not doing anything in your life, or you may feel like it's taking a long time to get where, where you're asking God to take you. And I want you to know every little thing that's happening in your life is preparing you for the next big thing that God's going to do in your life. And you don't see it now. But you will see it one day. Look at uh, verse 18 with me. Let's see what Zechariah says. Because I can just imagine, like, if it's me, I'm throwing a party. I'm asking for autographs. I'm getting this in writing. I'm like, I'm pumped, man. I'm like, yes, let's do this. At least that's in my head. Verse 18, it says, And Zechariah said to the angel, Well, well how shall I know this? I'm an old man, and my wife? Well, she, she's old too. Well, it seems, seems like a reasonable question, right? 
I mean, you go into the temple, first time in 400 years, an angel of God is appearing to you, and you've got some questions, all right? And, uh, and I can understand, like me, I'm more of a partier, like I'm more of a, yeah, God's on the scene, let's do this. You know, Zechariah's probably a little more of a planner, he's like, I've got a few questions. Um, how's this going to happen? I don't know if you've noticed or not, but I'm old, and my wife, she's old too. Like, I'm sure Elizabeth's like reading this from heaven, like, yeah, you had to throw that in, right? And so he says, like, yeah, we're, we're really old, and listen, they've been suffering for a lifetime. Like, Elizabeth has been barren, wanting a child for her whole life. Like, this is not something that was just like, uh, uh, you know, I prayed about it yesterday, and then God showed up today. This is something that's been decades in the making for them. And Zechariah is wondering, how could you, in one moment, erase decades of waiting? How could you, in one moment, erase decades of wanting and desire? So, I think we have to understand that the question is reasonable, but the problem is the heart in which the question came from. See, the problem is not the question Zechariah asked. The problem is the motive and the heart in which it was asked. The heart and the motive that he asked the question is one that doubted. It was one that said, will God do this? It was one that said, if God does this. It, it, was, a, it was a question. And so, so the angel, like, Lord, the God, God reads his heart and says, wow, Zechariah, I thought we were tight, man. I thought we had a thing going, but what I'm seeing right now is not the, the fact that you have questions is the problem. It's the motive in which you're asking these questions that's the problem. So we see it's not a matter of will God do it for Zechariah. It's a matter of can God do it for Zechariah. Do you see the difference? See, some of us may wonder, man, I know God can. I just don't know if he's going to. But for Zechariah, it was... I don't know, I don't, I don't even know if God can do this. Because Zechariah starts explaining science to the angel. And he's like, I don't know if you're aware or not, but once you reach a certain age, this stuff gets impossible. And so let's see what the angel says. Let's see what science uh, the angel counters with. Verse 19, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, <laughs> you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which <clears throat> will be fulfilled in their time. See, I like the way Gabriel puts that in at the end, because Gabriel's getting to Zechariah's heart. He's not trying to give Zechariah all the details of the plan. The angel's trying to say, which these will be fulfilled. Because Zechariah, I know that's really what you were wondering. I know you weren't wondering the science of how it would happen. I know you weren't wondering the timing of when it would happen. You were wondering, can God do it? And Gabriel says, because you didn't believe this, you, your sin, you, you do not believe God. But it will be fulfilled in its time. 
I love that. The fact that Gabriel says, I stand in the presence of God, is Gabriel's way. Now, Gabriel, Gabriel's like um, a really important angel, okay? Like, I don't want to get too into the study of angels today, but Gabriel was kind of like God's chief messenger. When there was a really important message that God wanted to get across, he sent Gabe, all right? And Gabe got to go give the message to the people. And this isn't the last time, like in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about Gabriel some more because he's coming back. And, and, and here's, here, here's what happens. Like he makes this announcement. And he says, because I stand in the presence of God. Like, in other words, I see everything. You know, it's kind of like in our world, in the D.C. world, maybe like a chief of staff, like, or an assistant, like, I see everything that's happening. I know the comings and goings and the dealings and what God is doing, and I hear every decree that comes from the mouth of God, so I'm a pretty trustworthy source on this, right? It's like, you can trust me, and this is what's going to happen. And so Gabriel says, your punishment, because you lack faith and didn't believe, your punishment is I'm going to shut your mouth. And you're going to be unable to speak. Look at verse 21. This is my my favorite part. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple. (laughs) I love this. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. I love, because what did this look like, right? Like, what on earth? Like, Zechariah comes out of the temple. He's, after 400 years of God's silence, he was just in the presence of Gabriel. And not just in his presence, had a conversation with him. And it did not go well. And he comes out, and now all of a sudden, he has seen all of this, and he can't say a word. But I love that Luke writes, but don't worry, he got his point across, because he just acted everything out, you know? Like, I mean, Zechariah comes out, and he's like, I mean, can you just imagine that everybody's, like, writing it down? They're like, it's like playing a huge game of charades, you know? And everybody's, I mean, I, hopefully hopefully it went well, and, uh, but, and they, maybe they were surprised a little bit. But this is what's happened, and, and they have no, like, the people are all away, and they have no idea what has happened. Look at verse 24 with me. It says, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Now, this is a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And what's happening is eventually God's word came to pass. Like what happened, Elizabeth conceived, and, uh, and she hid herself. Uh, to say, man, I, I just want, in other words, I think what it was, she wanted to keep herself with God and say, man, this is a special, like I know this is different, this is special. And, uh, and so let's, let's go down, skip a little bit, all right? We're going to come back to all these verses in the coming weeks, but go down with me to verse 57. And this is where I want to land or end today. In Luke 1, verse 57, let's kind of finish the story. Luke 1, 57, if you're there, say, I'm there. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. You see there again in verse 58, it's not just about her, right? But God is causing all people to rejoice and praise him. Look at verse 59. 
And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And uh, they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, no, he shall be called John. And they said to her, but none of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, because Zechariah's still not talking. So now they're playing charades again. They made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, because apparently you can't sign John. And he says, that's my commentary. Then he says, um, uh, his name is John. And they all wondered. Not wondered as in, oh, what a beautiful name. But wondered as in, really? John? Like, that's, that's what you came up with? It says this, and immediately in verse 64, immediately his mouth was open, his tongue was loose, and he spoke, blessing God. Isn't that so awesome? Could you imagine having the experience of Zechariah and for nine months not being able to speak anything? Like, some of the ladies who've given birth, like, actually, that's kind of a dream come true. That'd be really awesome. But, like, it's kind of a weird thing, right? Like, could you imagine, like, not being able to say anything, not being able to share any thoughts or dreams or really say, like, this is what happened to me. This is what God's doing. This is what's going to happen. Like, he had to be completely silent during this whole ordeal. And so when God finally opens his mouth, it's not, let me tell you the story. It's not, let me spill the tea. It's not let me share all the stuff that happened to me. It's he starts blessing God. Because, guys, Christmas is about God. It, it is about him and his glory and blessing his name. And so it's not immediately about let me tell you all the stories or let me share with you all the drawings I've done for the last nine months. It's not let me do all this stuff. It's literally just, no, no, I don't have time for you guys. I'm blessing God. He's been, dude's been waiting nine months to bring some praise and glory to God. He wasn't waiting that all, all that long time to make it about him. He'd been waiting nine months to be able to voice his blessings of God. And guys, that's what Christmas is. That's what we should be about. Look at verse 65. It says, and fear came on all their neighbors. I don't know if that's because he was talking or because of what he was saying. And all these things were talked about throughout all the hill country of Judea. Do you see that again? Starts with one person, but Christmas was not just for Zechariah. Christmas was for all the people of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. What an amazing and incredible story as we get ready to start, or as we're in starting the Christmas season. And, and guys, I just want to share with you a few things today that, that I think God may be calling us to do from this story to really prepare our hearts and get ready for Christmas. So if you're taking notes, write these down. Number one, I think God wants us to, God wants to stir up your dry, dusty affections for God. And see, I see this in this story, because 400 years is a lot of time to collect dust, isn't it? 400 years is a long time to collect some cobwebs in your heart. Haven't heard from God for 400 years generations and generations have come by and all God is at this point is some stories that have been passed on from generation to generation and now all of a sudden 
we see God's hand, but what if I told you that it gets better from here? What if I told you that this is just the initial stirring of the pot of what God is about to do in the whole world for all of time? And it started with this moment. And guys, what if today can be one of these moments for your heart? What if today could be one of these moments in your heart where you go, you know what, Brandon, my heart has been dusty. Like my heart is a little dusty. Like I just feel like it's, uh, you know, like it's been a while since I've felt God's presence. Like it's been a while. Sometimes I wonder if he's even still with me and I have all these doubts and fears and, and, and maybe like circumstances have been really hard and your heart isn't dusty, but it's really hard. Like it's really like a stone because over time you've become really cynical, sarcastic, unbelieving. And what if right now today is the beginnings of God stirring our hearts up, blowing some dust off, and all it takes from God. And you go, Brandon, you don't know how hard my heart is. You don't know how many years I've been opposed to this. You don't know what I've been through the last few months. And brother, sister, listen to me. With all of my heart, I say you're right. I don't. I cannot fully know. But here's what I know. I don't know everything you've been through, but I know who my God is. And I may not know how hard your heart is or how dusty your soul feels right now, but I know what my God is capable of. And I know that all it takes is a slight touch of his fingertip to your heart to take what is stone and turn it into flesh that is breathing and beaten and alive. Like, I believe Jesus can do that for you today. And I see that in this story, that God is just shaking the dust off, and he's getting his people ready for the biggest miracle that has ever happened on this planet. Here's the second thing I think this story tells us tells us that we should increase our faith in God. <laughs> tells us we, we should increase our faith in God. And, and I know this is hard, and I know you go, but, Brandon, but listen, here's the cool thing about increasing your faith in God. God doesn't want your faith to go from a zero to a hero. God doesn't want your faith to go from a zero to a hundred today. God wants your faith to go from a zero to a point zero zero one today. And God can do more with a .001 amount of faith in your life than you can with 100% of faith in your life. Because Jesus said all it takes is the faith of a mustard seed. And in that time, the mustard seed was the smallest seed he could find. And said, if you'll have that much faith, then God will use your life to move mountains. And guys... I think this story is saying, man, don't be a Zechariah. When you're confronted with the presence of God today and God's doing something in your life, don't turn it away. Don't doubt it. Don't get cynical again. Don't, don't say, I mean, this is God dealing with us. This is God in his grace and his mercy saying, I want you, man. I got you. Like, I'm in this, and you have not gone too far. You have not been such a hater to me that I'm ready to give up on you. God is saying, I don't need you to have all the faith. I just need you to have a little ounce of faith. And if you just have a little bit of spark, Jesus said, I'll take it the rest of the way and fan the flame of your faith. 
man, this is what Christmas is about for us. God doesn't need you to be perfect during Christmas. God needs you to have this much faith in him to see the lives that he could change through you and the life he can change in you. And here's number three. I think God tells us this story, starts Christmas with this story, to draw all people in your life to himself. Because that's what we saw time and time again, isn't it? The angel Gabriel told Zechariah, I've got good news for you that's going to trickle into all people. And then he goes on and says, uh, when they started sharing the news, all people began rejoicing. When John the Baptist was born, it says word got out to the whole town, to the whole city of Judea, and everyone who heard was rejoicing in God. Could it be that the things God is doing in your life right now, God wants to use for the people in your life right now? That he's got it rigged, and the good things he's doing in your life aren't just for you, but they could be for those family members that are really hard could be for those neighbors that you avoid for the co-workers that give you a hard time for the friends you've been praying for for years who you feel like will never come to church could it be that the things God is doing in your life this Christmas and today aren't just for you but might be used for all people and could it be that this Christmas God might choose to use a a small one-year-old church to make his glory known throughout an entire city of Fredericksburg, Virginia. Man, I want to be a part of that. Let's pray together and worship team. You guys can go ahead and come up. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.